Hello, my friends. Just a note to let you know that the following episode is not family-friendly listening. We will be discussing post-traumatic stress disorder and several events leading up to that, including suicidal ideation, hallucinations, and mentions of sexual assault. If this is not a good fit for you, please take care of yourselves, give this one a miss, and we'll catch up with you in the next episode. Thanks so much. Welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. Danielle Sullivan here. I'm your host. I'm happy you're here today. If you are listening to this right when it comes out, may I welcome you to take a deep breath with me since it is the time of year in which everyone is overwhelmed and everything is dramatic and big and there's so many lights and so much sound. So let's just take a deep breath together. <sighs> I encourage you to keep taking deep breaths as you like during this episode. Today, we are talking about nothing related to the current time of year. Today, I have a guest, Tremaine Aiki from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I am so excited to have him on. Tremaine and I recorded this episode back in the summer, and it just took a while to make it through the system. <laughs> um, but I'm very excited to talk with him today. Tremaine is a young man out of Aotearoa who has been diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder, as well as complex PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, and has been in the mental health system in New Zealand since he was 14. And we are talking together about um, what it's like to be a person with this disorder, which is not very well understood in the media. And especially, you know, before I started researching to speak with Tremaine, um, I, I think it's not something you bump into much um, unless you live with somebody who is is dealing with it. Um, so we're talking today about his experience of dissociating, hallucinations, and what it's like to have hallucinations or delusions, um, what it's like to have other personalities, and how he copes with trauma. Um, we're also talking a lot about uh, colonial trauma. So Tremaine lives in Aotearoa, which is colonized um, by the British and then by other people, and it's still being colonized today. And that colonization process and its continued um, reverberations into his life today um, create a lot of trauma for him and his family and other folks who are indigenous to that area. So we're talking about that a lot today. So I hope you will learn a lot from this episode. Um, before I get go in with Tremaine. I just want to say thank you to my patrons for supporting this episode and making this possible for me to do. It is very appreciated. If you would like to become a patron, I encourage you to head on over to patreon.com slash neurodiverging, where you can pledge a couple of bucks a month and get some cool perks and make sure this podcast keeps going into the future. You can also find transcripts and more information on what we're talking about today at neurodiverging.com. And now without further ado, here's my interview with Tremaine. Welcome to the Neurodiverging Podcast, Jermaine. It's good to see you again. How's your day going? Day's going well, thank you. How, how's yours? Going beautifully. We're, we're talking about, before we started recording, that we're going into fall here in Colorado. So lots of crunchy leaves and hot chocolate and that kind of atmosphere. And you are on the other side of the world for me, so. Yeah, we're going, we're going into spring, so the Pahutukawas are starting to flower, the... Uh... The cold mornings are gone. We've gone to daylight saving, so we're no longer getting long nights, which I'm very upset about. We're uh, we're going into long nights very soon over here yeah. on this side, <laughs> which I am upset about. So 
you know. <laughs> I pre- I prefer them because then mm-hmm. I can go, then I can go walking when there are no cars out. Yeah, yeah, that does make a big difference. Out here, there are coyotes in the evenings, and so I don't want oh. to go walking with my children. <laughs> so- you go walking with a rifle, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, or you know, if you've got a dog or some large friends but yeah yeah it's it's definitely different coyotes Uh, jesus coyotes yeah and not to obviously this isn't the topic of the thing but because new zealand (laughs) because new zealand is an island we don't have any natural predators Mm -hmm. that's why our um, birds are so exotic looking lovely yes until we brought the predators to well, I say we, the Pakia brought the princess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, the coyotes are native here and they're, they're wonderful and they're appreciated and they're needed, but they also make walking in the evening a little bit more challenging sometimes. So we're just careful. Yeah. Uh, well, um, would you be willing to tell us a little bit about your background and um, what you'd like to talk about today i know we can go in a lot of different directions <laughs> <laughs> so yes as um because this is obviously a neurodiverging podcast that's clearly about um and since i'm not a doctor i'm clearly a uh, patient rather than a professional but um oh yes i'm tremaine arky i'm uh, i have uh, been diagnosed with did ptsd and a few other fun little things that I experience and uh, I also host a podcast that Danielle's been on she I think her episode will be out before this one is so go check that out as well if we it talked, is I'll uh, put a link below yeah we, talk, we <laughs> talked about we didn't talk about sci-fi but we certainly talked um, <laughs> we so, tried it didn't this, this podcast might be similar we'll try to stay on topic but we had yeah. a good conversation though yeah so we um <laughs> So I, um, uh, DID is, for those of you who don't know, is Dissociative Identity Disorder. It's the child of um, per- multiple personality disorder. So I have uh, six personalities, including myself, which doesn't usually count as a personality. It's usually a, usually just the core. But I count myself as one because... To be honest, we don't really know if there is a real Tremaine. But um, so what we talked about beforehand is we want to talk about trauma and hallucinations. So hallucinations occur for me because I have psychosis. Now, um, something that a lot of people get wrong is psychotic, psychosis are not um, psychopaths or... But that's not even a term in DSM anymore. Um, that's such an important thing to bring up. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> so it's not when you hear someone is on antipsychotics or is on is having a psychotic episode. It doesn't mean they're going out and Hannibal lecturing people. They they are experiencing a disconnect, a, a, a severe disconnect from reality. So. Um, so, for example, the main the main uh, illness people associate with psychosis is schizophrenia, 
Now, schizophrenia is not DID, as in there are not multiple personalities. There is it's, schizophrenia means split mind. So it's split the mind from reality. So a big part of psychosis will be your ability to grab onto reality. You'll start to believe in conspiracy theories a lot. You're a lot more prone to them. Uh, if you hear voices, you'll be listening to them a lot more. If you see things, you'll be believing them a lot more. If you are prone to delusional thinking, then you'll be thinking some pretty wild things. Mm -hmm. um, I myself, prior to the COVID pandemic uh, reaching New Zealand, was hospitalized after, well, it's complicated. It's never as simple. It's not as simple with me with who did what, but um, mm. someone I call Tinfoil Man because of his conspiracy theories uh, believed that, or he convinced me that sparrows, so the Eurasian sparrow, which is very common in New Zealand, uh, was spreading the COVID virus because of a... Uh, a, a an alliance they had with the Chinese government after mm -hmm. the five pests campaign in China. So that requires a lot of mental gymnastics to get through that. But because you're prone to these this thinking, this persecution, um, this grandiose thinking, you start to get really paranoid, mm -hmm. very paranoid. And so in terms of hallucinations for me, I, I see, I have hallucinations every day. The difference is when I'm in a good space, mm -hmm. I can cope with them. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if you're a person who has not been diagnosed and you are not being treated or you haven't had therapy, oftentimes these hallucinations can cause issues. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I should mention that in some cultures, it doesn't, which yeah. is an interesting topic in itself, mm -hmm. that some cultures manage it through using spirituality to deal with it. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, in the West, we've severed our connection to the spiritual world, so <laughs> we have to rely on science for that one. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so hallucinations. I mean, I could probably go on, but what 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 um what are some general general misconceptions you can think of? Oh gosh, so many. So first, I'll just say there is a really good book I read recently that I'm blanking on the title, but I'm going to put it in the show notes on um, American indigenous approaches to. Uh, diagnoses yes diagnoses like psychosis like schizophrenia like bipolar disorder like did um and uh it's it's written by an indigenous woman and i'm just i'm just not great with names that's just if you're listening to the podcast you know that about me so if you're interested in that topic i can put a link to that book in the show notes i haven't read any um based out of the americas but um i'm sure they exist i don't know if you know of any tremaine for uh <laughs> other <laughs> other indigenous well, groups well, the, the indigenous group I'm part of, the Māori mm -hmm. of New Zealand, we used to treat um, people with schizophrenia and DID and not bipolar, but the hallucinations mm -hmm. as a spiritual guide. 
So they were often seen as sort of a shaman-like mm-hmm. um, figure. And so what would happen is people who, the, el- the village elders would walk you through your experience. And it was sort of a more... a more spiritual approach to dealing with the illness and you became quite a prestigious member of the tribe Mm -hmm. but unfortunately unfortunately not me because Pakia showed up Mm -hmm. yep yeah so um we uh yeah so Maori um a lot of Polynesian cultures like the Maori Samoan included they um they used their connection with the gods and things like that as an ex- as a uh, belief system mm-hmm. for why these afflictions occurred in certain people. Yeah. So yeah, there is certainly a different schools of thought as there are in medicine in general. Oh yes. I mean, I know that um, the reason we test uh, vaccines on different different ethnic groups not because we're trying to target them but because for some ethnic groups they can react terribly to the mm-hmm. vaccine whereas Pākehā or Asian or African cultures manage it fine because of different diseases they've had in the past. Absolutely yeah thank you for sharing that I know it's a big question I think it's really interesting um, to look at places where um, mental health conditions like these are a piece of an integrated society and treated as a piece of an integrated approach versus, you know, kind of the white European Western approach of. Well, what's 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 really interesting about it? A lot of the time, if you're not high functioning, it's very difficult for you to function in our society, Mm -hmm. in our white European society. But if you are high functioning, sometimes you can hit that sweet spot between totally off the rails and so in control that you just, I I mean, I know stories from my, my family has a, uh, something called generational trauma that you may be aware of but for um, a lot of indigenous people who experience the hardships of colonization and cultural repression we have a hand down of a plethora of illnesses because of that mm-hmm. especially to do with drinking substance abuse mood disorders anxiety depression all all that fun Mm -hmm. stuff um and because of that we often think about alternatives if you know what i mean i think so i think where i was going or what i was thinking about when you were talking before is that and, and also as you were talking about sort of the I'm trying to think of a better word than social ills, but like colonization, racism, right. violence, right? Um, of colonization in, in many places in the world, right? From European colonization, um, indigenous folks and other folks suffer from the, the things you were talking about, alcoholism, substance abuse, 
um, and and kind of that generational pass down of yeah. of a violent colonization process, um, and it's driven this kind of huge wedge into now we're trying to apply European medical systems onto um, folks who have their own ways of dealing with things, and that it it's not a it's not a one to one, right? It doesn't it doesn't really work. I think is all I was getting at. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. you have much better insight on that than I do as a Yes, very white American. <laughs> <laughs> well, the um, thing about Western science is, and this is a question I often pose to the different doctors I've seen at, at mm -hmm. different times, is do you think we should have based psychology on science? And a lot of the time, the more older ones will say no. Mm -hmm. And they say that because they think we are moving in a different direction with psychology. We're not, so what I would say the traditional European approach to, to mental health was very much to lock people away. Yes. To move people out of the community. Now the approach is to push them back into the community. Mm -hmm. There have been troubles with that because... There are some people who just can't function in the community mm -hmm. because the community is designed in a certain way that doesn't gel well with how they, uh, who they are. Doesn't support they are. what they need. Yeah, yeah. So um, what what I find interesting is we is um, a lot of indigenous groups in uh, Africa and Asia and Oceania. And, possibly in the North and South America, um, they, they had a different approach. It wasn't scientific, it was mm -hmm. spiritual. Yeah. And the question I think about, when I think about that is not, I don't believe in God, but what I think is, is there a connection there with having that blind faith mm. in something that will solve the issue more than having a dose of drugs that make you 50 kgs overweight dull in the morning and all sorts of the all sorts of mm. uh, effects of medication not to say you shouldn't take your medication yeah please take your if medication you, <laughs> <laughs> take your medication but, otherwise i'll put you in hospital and that's worse than taking your medication yeah, yeah. But I think you're also right. And there's also this, you know, as someone who is white, who works with a lot of white folks, a lot of us are very divorced from um, natural life in any way. Like we, we don't go outside, we don't get sunlight, we don't, you know, we, there's, there's this kind of huge, um, I can't think of another word besides divorce, but we're very separated from, you know, how folks used to live. And we're also separated from our communities. Like we literally don't know our neighbors, at least in the Americas, you know, a lot of us don't know the folks we live with. Um, and so you, there's not a social approach to handling mental illness or, or any other kind of struggle really, because the socialness doesn't exist. We don't have a society. We have a bunch of individual people. Um, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's based off of your, um, your history of valuing the individual over the collective. Oh, yes. It absolutely is. And it's a hot mess and it does not work. <laughs> so. Well, 
It worked for conquering the rest of us. <laughs> yeah, and now we're all screwed would be my, my you know, you, no, you're right. I mean, it worked for that, that group of people. It continues to work for a group of people who are still in the process of colonization, right? But um, it also leaves a lot of us without families, social structure, neighbors, you well, know, and what's, what's interesting as well is um, a lot of um, just to move on to hallucinations. Yes, <laughs> a lot of my hallucinations do revolve around some spiritual elements, mm -hmm. and that's to do with my cultural whakapapa or heritage, as mm -hmm. you would put it. Um, that we. My grandmother, who I'm staying with, who's um, staying with me at the moment, mm -hmm. um, she used to have. She's not diagnosed with anything, but she used to have spirits of her ancestors come to her and ask for her to pray for them. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, in a clinical setting, that's psychosis. Mm -hmm. But in a traditional setting, it's normal. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of coping with grief. Yeah. Um, now, I have a similar thing with my Pākehā relatives who have passed away and also with my Samoan and my Māori relatives that have passed away. Um, they often will visit me in a rather... I see things very... My visual hallucinations are very vivid. Mm. They're not, um, which is not entirely common. So if you're if you're seeing things, and you think, oh, but they're not that vivid, it still means you're seeing things. Yeah. But it, there's actually caveats there. Make sure you talk to a doctor. Don't, don't. Um, Please don't diagnose yourself via Facebook. Please go see an actual medical professional. This is just our experiences as non-doctor people. Yeah. <laughs> there's your general. Your general. Um, no, there was. Heads up. I showed it to my um, my psychologist. It said, um, "Take this five minute quiz to find your why your all your relationship problems." And I just showed him, and I said, "Ha, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here." And um, yeah, he he looked at it and said, "You know what? I'm glad. <laughs> you know what?" I can't believe I've wasted the past 40 years of my life. <laughs> when you could just take this five-minute Facebook quiz. Um, those don't work. And the Myers-Briggs test doesn't work either. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> what else doesn't work? <laughs> oh, God. I think there's so there's too many things that don't work to fill up, that will just fill up this whole program. But Even, um... even certain things that they still use in medicine don't work. Like, you know that scene from Science of the Lambs where... Hannibal's handed the um, the questionnaires by Clarice, and he sort of goes, "Are you trying to pick my mind with these <laughs> primitive tools?" I, that was and, very good. Very he's, good mocking, he's mocking her accent at mm -hmm. the same time. Yep. And, and she goes like, "No, no, no, it's like that with a lot of these, um, especially in the public system over here in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. They hand you a lot of these questionnaires. I've got a few of them in here." And they um they ask questions that are very stupid, like um, uh, rate from zero to five, how suicidal you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, 
don't what? know about you. <laughs> I don't I know, sorry, I'm having a, a very big reaction. I'm like, how, how, how? I'm just that that stuck well, me very much. Yeah. Well, and then uh, the urge to quit therapy, zero to five. Mm-hmm. Self harm, zero to five. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, did I slash my wrist with a banana? Okay, so that's zero. Mm-hmm. I slashed it with a knife. That's five. So you sort of you can see where I'm coming from with this, these primitive tools. Yes. Trying to pick out pick at our minds, and they do it because they don't have time to sit down and establish a rapport with mm-hmm. you because the hospital system is basically, at least in New Zealand, is set up to try to get people out of it as fast as possible. It's the same here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in the we don't States. we don't want too many people in that hospital because mm-hmm. God knows they may end up curing being cured um the um but yeah so back to hallucinations um a story i have so i i started experiencing hallucinations probably at the age of six mm-hmm. but they were seen as because i was a child they were too i was too young to be diagnosed with them but I was always in the yard by myself talking to things that weren't there mm-hmm. and talking to plants. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm a weirdo. And um, the uh, when I was about 14 or 15, I was in a, my English class. I had a very terrible teacher that may have contributed to what what was about to happen mm-hmm. um but she said to me why are you staring at the curtains am i not interesting mm-hmm. now if i was in my right mind i would have said no you're not mm-hmm. because that's the way i am but i wasn't in my right mind because i was looking at the curtain because there was a light shining through it and it was raining outside mm-hmm. i thought so she was still talking to me I pulled back the curtain and there was a man standing there shining a torch through. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, that man wasn't real. Mm -hmm. But me at the time didn't know that. Myself at the time didn't know that. And I was completely unaware that no one else could see this person. And I did what's natural. I screamed at the the man, Mm -hmm. ran across the classroom, jumped out the window, climbed down the roof, and then ran out of the school. Mm Now, you may say that was an overreaction. Um, it was, but it was also a reaction to something that was threatening me. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the thing people need to remember. If someone is seeing something and they believe they are seeing it, there is no, there is no room in there for them to doubt it if you see for example a coyote coming towards you you don't have time to think is this real there's no rational response you have a fight or flight response Mm -hmm. so when i saw this man and i call him i called him the puppet master for a while Mm because i believed all the ills that were following me were because of this puppet master Mm -hmm. actually there was really there's a story behind that which is I believed he was a time traveler sent back to try to stop me from becoming a dictator. Mm. So 
you know <laughs> again grandiose thinking it's very thinking. it's it's interesting yeah like how the you need a a, a rationale right like it needs to make sense yeah and because you're a child when you're doing it they don't make a lot of sense mm-hmm. if it was a time traveler why didn't he just kill me you know mm-hmm. stuff like that it's yeah it, it's very basic stuff like that but you you start to develop these neurological pathways mm-hmm. that then have to be undone in therapy yes and so the um the hallucinations have been also to do with the trauma I've experienced. Now, I don't mind saying this, but I have been assaulted sexually by quite a few women. Mm-hmm. Now, that is, people will probably think is unique. It's not. I don't, yeah, I think it's not as uncommon as. We tend to think, we tend to think in terms, we tend to think men think only with their penises. Mm-hmm. I can assure you that is not the case because there is no there is no shame to your psyche more so than believe than being told that the traumatic experience you just felt is meant to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. So having sexual attention from someone who is perceived as attractive should be a good thing. But if you're not consenting to it and if you're too young to consent to it, then it's not. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if, if someone is saying no, then it's no. Yeah. That's a very simple rule that we don't seem to be able to follow for some reason. But... Because I was abused in that way, a lot of my, a lot of my hallucinations during heightened emotions mm-hmm. will be hands clawing at my mouth, mm-hmm. hands touching my pelvic area, mm-hmm. and things like that. So a lot of the hallucinations can also tie in with, um, and what you would call that is a, it's part of PTSD. Yes. It's actually a, um, it's reliving. Mm-hmm. the the moment in time you were traumatized because i'm sure you've had someone on who's explained how it works with the with the um with your rational brain being the frontal lobe mm-hmm. and then your emotional brain being the center then when during a fight or flight they separate and this this uses all its energy to do stuff and when your amygdala is overwhelmed, mm-hmm. you can't remember it. That's a disassociation. But your body remembers it. Mm-hmm. Your body has pieces of that memory still in it. Yeah. So, for example, there was a particular perfume that one of my abusers wore. And when I was walking in a, shop, in a shopping center, I... Um, took a whiff of it from someone who walked past and completely shut down because Mm -hmm. I was suddenly being molested again. And it was that, I mean, that's debilitating in itself because you can't ask someone to ban that perfume. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But 
it's it was a it was a freak accident that then unlocked a memory that because my psychologist said well what happened mm -hmm. and I said I don't know this perfume and I kept talking about the perfume and he said do you know the perfume from anywhere else mm -hmm. and that's when we started to piece together this teacher and started to piece together all these things mm -hmm. and suddenly it came together that this thing had happened yeah so what we have is a traumatic event mm -hmm. now some of you who may be listening who think oh that didn't I haven't had something as severe as that or maybe the opposite but I still feel traumatized that is not wrong no not at all so if you have experienced something like bullying something like even verbal bullying there are people who I mean there's horrendous things that people have been told to do by bullies and there are horrendous things that they've done to people mm -hmm. children are messed up they're <laughs> they do really messed up things. yes they're evil as, as a parent I could well I I would push back against the evil but I can <laughs> affirm that children do weird messed up things and and humans in general unfortunately or fortunately do weird messed up things some of them are positive some of them are not well so but. you know you may be thinking oh well when I was in school they I don't know that classic thing of they called me this they called me that they mocked me and you're thinking, oh, but, you know, that happens to a lot of people. Now, in psychology, as I've learned it, there is a thing where some people are just more sensitive than others. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a reality. Yeah. And that's part of mindfulness is learning the difference between is that not everything needs to be good or bad. Not everything needs to be black and white. Mm -hmm. Then There needs to be shades of gray. And so, 50 of them, no. Um, so we, um, we, we develop a, some of us who are more sensitive will develop problems with, now we don't know why people are more sensitive, mm -hmm. at least I don't. There, there could be, there's a genetic component, there's a upbringing component, but... Yeah. Some people are just born a bit more fragile than the other, than others. And they also tend to be the people who are better artists, uh, intellectuals, uh, people who achieve a lot in life because they have a strong amount of empathy. Mm. So it's not necessarily, it's a curse and a blessing, but it's also, you know, everything has a, well, nearly everything has a silver lining. Yeah, empathy, as far as I understand it, is a very complex trait that, yeah. just like many other traits, can be, you know, grown throughout your life. So you're born with a certain level, but then you can push it up, right, or let it slide down a little bit. And different people are born with different levels, but it's, you can grow it through attention to it and practice to it. Yeah. But I think you're... Um, well, I think many of my listeners, I'm going to go out on a limb and say many, many of us are neurodivergent. Many of us have experienced both like capital T traumas, like, you know, car crashes, people dying, really huge, um, dramatic 
things that change the course of your life, sexual assault. And a lot of people have experienced kind of the little T traumas, like, you know, microaggressions, right? Like racial or ableist microaggressions, excuse me. But over the course of time, those can build up and really cause very complex um, post-traumatic stress and, and other sorts of symptoms. Um, depending on who you are as an individual and what's going on in your life and what kind of resilience and support structures you have, right? Yeah. So, for example, mm-hmm. for example, um, my grandfather. Now, he may not be the best example of someone who is resilient, mm-hmm. but he is someone who just gets on with it. Yeah. Now, there are people who do not... I actually was talking about this yesterday with my psychologist mm-hmm. about the stories of people in concentration camps and during the Holocaust. There were some people who just lay down and died in the first mm-hmm. few days. Yeah. Then there were some who survived the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And you look at these two groups of people and you think, well, many of them had heritage that was similar to each other. Mm-hmm. Many of them had the same upbringing. They were in the same situation. Why were they different? Mm-hmm. And so we, we may never really know what the conclusion is there, but there are some people who can just who can just be who can just push past it and just make make do with what they have. Mm-hmm. And the older generation we think of having that you know we think oh my grandma and grandpa live through the depression so you know why can't I cope with this I think that my older generation repressed every single emotion they ever had and just pushed 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 and exactly yes and the ones that didn't and the ones that didn't were put into psychiatric hospitals Mm -hmm. and never seen again yes so yeah that's uh, that was the option right yeah Mm -hmm. I mean, um, there's there's the uh, there was a comedian known called Jonathan Winters mm-hmm. who did who used to do a lot of improv comedy in the old days, and he used to refer to uh, during his alien saucer routine. He said, "I did not say too much, or they'll put me in the zoo again." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's and it very much is the case um, that if you started to get out of out of um, not out of hand, but started to get a bit annoying or inconvenient, Mm -hmm. especially if you were a woman, if you were inconvenient to your husband because your body once a month decides to torture you, then, sorry, you've got hysteria and you're going into the psychiatric hospital while he goes and marries someone different. Well, and I think it's that's an important piece because a lot of the push, you know, like we were talking about, white European society, Western society wants to push science, quote unquote, as the the way we solve problems. And I am an evidence-based practitioner. I believe in science. Science is also deeply problematic. It's racist. It's misogynist. It's based in a system that is uh, just deeply problematic in, in multiple different ways. And so pointing to that history is really important and acknowledging that like you know we're trying to look at science at least a lot of white folks and white liberal folks especially look at science as this pure um argument for things but the science is based in a history of 
dramatic oppression. Oh well, yeah, it's like yeah. IQs, for example, that we use to sterilize people. Yep. <laughs> IQs were, IQ and they still are, are massively influenced by the white people that created them. And not to mention that, that they also were not intended for adults to be used the way they're being used yeah most no. of our just like the test you pointed to right the 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 how suicidal are you question it's yeah. like you know that's how do you I measure just, intelligence yeah really. how do you um, yeah yeah these are not things me, that are meant to be scaled like that that's not a useful approach to yeah if you were intelligent enough to make that test you'd know not to make that test oh so, gosh you wish right well i the, the person who developed the IQ test, he was a French guy, mm-hmm. he um, didn't intend to use it for actually adults. It was meant to be used for children in French schools that needed, like whether or not they It was a placement test. Exactly. Placement it test. was a placement test for, okay, should you be in quote unquote fifth grade or second grade, right? Of your reading. And now we use it, what, for, oh, so many things that it has no place being yes i mean i was i was searching through cora because i have mm-hmm. nothing better to do sometimes and someone said they had an iq of 161 and i thought no you okay. don't <laughs> <laughs> one no you don't mm-hmm. Two. so so what <laughs> like what does it mean it means it's a number it doesn't mean anything it's not usable well, in not a, only does yeah. it mean anything, also because the internet has IQ tests that you could, I mean, I I haven't done an IQ test in online because I okay. learned to get self-esteem through some other method, but um, <laughs> <laughs> come on, you're sorry, telling, I'm sorry. You, can't, you can't tell me people who do IQ tests have high self-esteem or high I know. Level understand i mean so i'm i'm very autistic which means i don't understand a lot of things that the general culture around me seems to understand um but when i think of iq tests i i think of things like bmi indexes and like people taking you're literally taking the smallest sample size possible you're making a scale to use in a specific circumstance and then somebody else takes it and explodes it and uses it everywhere like you know um, like IQ is just for this one school classroom. It had like, I don't know what, 50 kids that were maybe on the original one and now we're using it for everything. BMI, it's just white European men in America in the 50s. And they, it, they were college students. They were like 20. They were like skinny and ripped. And we're going to use that for like every man in the whole you, you know world to say if, if you're the right size, quote unquote, whatever that means or not. Like, I just think of the ways that culture likes to take something that has this very specific use and then just try to apply it everywhere and that's supposed to be scientific and it makes me very confused and well <laughs> it's the, the Rorschach tests yeah they, there you go that's another great example <laughs> they they used to be very useful because the person who invented them Rorschach was not using them as in you see this you're a homosexual or you see this you're a pedophile Mm -hmm. it's it was it was more you see this why do you see this what possible what part of your 
past is going to is meaning you're going to see this. It was a reflective is there a exercise. Yeah, yeah. Is there a commonality between them? And instead, they got used to diagnose people with things and kicked out of the army, which. Yeah, it's just uh, the whole, anyway, the whole thing is a hot mess. I would love to talk a little bit more about your experience of um, DID and and or hallucinations, kind of what um, what has your experience been like? And like, how can folks who are listening who might know somebody with those diagnoses be most supportive or most helpful or what they should, what should they know? I know that's like two huge questions, but whatever <laughs> your response so, would be. DID, I'll start with that. Okay. DID means the person who you see before you is not necessarily the person you know mm -hmm. that can be very traumatic to see yeah because you can see a very rational person turn into an irrational beast mm -hmm. or you can see a very rational person turn into a child or you can see them turn into an old man or a young man or a woman mm -hmm. or a uh gender neutral it, it doesn't matter you can turn into anything as mm -hmm. long as it's in your as long as that person exists what you need to remember is the best way the only way you can help someone is if you're safe yourself mm -hmm. so as much as i hate to say it if they're violent you do need to call someone mm -hmm. because Putting yourself in harm's way is not a good idea. Yeah. I know that the police are not the best at dealing with these situations. Certainly not where you are. No. But, um, but you're, I think you're right that safety first has to be part of the plan. And I have worked because, with clients with yeah. family members who are, for other reasons, unsafe. And you have to have a safety plan, right? Um, I can also yeah. put links to that in the show notes for folks if you need to develop a safety plan but you want to have a plan before something happens um, yeah. so that you can keep so, each other safe yeah so did another thing to remember is also when you see the person again maybe in hospital maybe after they've called after their other personality is withdrawn mm -hmm. they're not going to remember or they may remember but not have any control over it yeah so if you come to them saying what the fuck was that yeah they're going to go, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Now, it's going to be very difficult to say, hey, look, are you okay? After you've watched them, I don't know, throw a punching bag out a window onto a, from the fourth floor of a building and then climbed out of that window and gone up the thing like King Kong. It's going to be very difficult to sympathize with them mm. but being there and just saying you know are you okay do you know what happened mm -hmm. um explaining what happened and then yeah that that generally will be helpful now for hallucinations telling someone that it's not there is actually helpful now a lot of people will think how is that helpful you have to do it in a helpful manner. Mm -hmm. Don't say, don't be fucking stupid. Why would there be a snake here? Mm -hmm. Do it like this. Okay. 
I can't see that. Mm -hmm. You want me to ask other people if they can see that? Mm -hmm. Maybe not in that tone. And when they start to see that other people can't see it, then they start to maybe question or start to think a little bit about why they're seeing this thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's, there's small things you can do. A lot of them have revolve around just saying, hey, maybe think about this. Yeah. Being Not being passive, but being gentle with your approach. Yeah. Because you have to remember a lot of these people have not lived very easy lives. Once again, they have lived very difficult lives or have had very difficult pasts. Yeah. And you yelling at them is not going to help. Yeah, and that's if you are working with any, it's just from a coaching perspective for folks who are listening for whatever it's worth. Um, Tremaine has much greater experience than I do in terms of the lived experience. But from a coaching perspective, there's lots of trauma-informed resources. If you're a coach and you're working with somebody or if you're a professional and you're working with somebody, if you do not know how to be trauma-informed, uh, you're going to re-injure people. So like, do your work, please. <laughs> and go, you know, you can do I'll, your I'll, job. Do your, do your work. Like, I'm, I'm happy to, to email folks. I'm, you know, but you can Google, right? For your profession, for your your place in, in the world, wherever you are, um, there's going to be a, a community or society of folks uh, in your profession that have some kind of trauma information certification or, or um, you know, method. And that's really and, important. Yeah. And just to, just to touch on something there. And that's why it is important when people say they are not diagnosed mm -hmm. to keep that in mind. Yes. Because if you're not diagnosed, now, don't get me wrong, I don't want to say then you're definitely not it. It means what you're experiencing has not been labeled. Mm -hmm. So what the only reason I'm getting at that is, is because I've seen a lot of people abusing trauma-based illnesses to try to get rid of things they don't like yes that's a really good point mm -hmm. and so you know they they say they'll say things like this is triggering me and they've made it to the point where people who actually get triggered no longer want to use that word because they mm -hmm. don't want to be seen as soft yeah i know i feel that when i when when the doctor said to me you mean you're being triggered i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've i've uh seen this come up in the americas in the past five or ten years with um some students asking for trigger warnings on syllabi for example after after being diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder or something similar and they're being pushed back against like spoiling the book right or spoiling the novel in english class um when really somebody is asking for a, a very reasonable mental health accommodation um and should be afford, in my opinion should be afforded that regardless of anybody else's like slight discomfort versus a real re-triggering event they are wildly different um yeah for example i know that when i was well i still do university but when i was mm -hmm. in one of my first classes there was someone there was someone in the front who was criticizing psychology now that's dangerous for someone like me because then i can go hey i don't need psychology and um do some crazy stuff so I asked the lecturer to be part to be excused mm -hmm. now that is a conversation to be had between you and the lecturer yes now 
in terms of trigger warnings, the thing is, right, I'm triggered heavily by rats. It's a very complicated topic, yeah. yeah. And I'm triggered heavily by rats. In Mm -hmm. fact, it can induce a psychotic episode. Mm -hmm. I can't ask everyone (laughs) to do that, and nor should I, because a big part of recovery from trauma is is reintegrating yourself back into society and coping with that. Yeah. Now, obviously, while you're vulnerable, that's not a good thing to have. Mm-hmm. But part of your recovery will be learning to cope with, with the thing. Yeah. With the thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, oh, but there are some obvious things. If the book is like uh, Huckleberry Finn and it's got some words that are not particularly usable nowadays. Yes, it's good to just have a saying. I think the Disney Disney Corporation actually had Whoopi Goldberg do that for some of the movies that they used to have. Mm. And she said that, in her opinion, that it was that to deny, to cut them out would be to deny that they happened at all. Yeah. So it is important, mm. not to get political, it is important to acknowledge that that history does exist. I completely agree. We don't want to sanitize anything. We don't um, want to whitewash. Yeah. No, or that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very white word to use, isn't it? Sanitize. I take, yes, you're right. We, we don't want to whitewash anything. But we also, um, I'm thinking specifically of, um, you know, you mentioned sexual assault before. That's something that many yes. of us had, have unfortunately had in our histories, and it has caused trauma for many of us. Um, and it, many folks who are going to be in say a freshman English class may have dealt with with sexual trauma and so if you're being asked to read a text that covers that directly that's a place for example where I would say a trigger warning is a reasonable ask going to trust the student to decide if they can if they're in the part of their recovery where they're going to read the book anyway or not right but it shouldn't be up to the lecturer I, I would also say um there's a difference between a trigger warning and completely erasing the book. Oh, for sure. Yes. And that's what my, as someone who's a writer, as someone who appreciates fiction, it's very important that we don't get rid of some of these books. Cause um, I know, for example, the Marquis de Sade, the mm-hmm. person who is net, whose name is the basis of the word sadism. Mm-hmm. He wrote some very, very rapey books oh yes <laughs> i've read them <laughs> they're, and they're they're not as good as you you you'd wish for somebody with uh, that sort of a uh, history well no for me <laughs> they they actually have a message that's quite strange mm. so um in the two books juliet and i'm not going to go into any of the obvious things juliet and uh, justine mm-hmm. they um the two sisters that are separated because one goes off in a life of debauchery and the other one goes off in the life of virtue. And what we get is the woman who goes for virtue is left uh, on the streets and Mm -hmm. is basically abused by society. And the woman who takes life into her own hands and does what she wants becomes the successful person. Mm -hmm. And even though it was written in the 1700s, I can't think of a more feminist thing than um, basically saying, yeah, the virtue, they're going to tell you sticking to your virtues is good, but uh, 
people men like you know the for example in the first thing justine goes to a church and she says father can i live in here and he tries to have sex with her mm -hmm. that's a reality mm -hmm. no matter who you are there's probably going to be some creepy old man that's going to try to take advantage of you mm -hmm. <laughs> and you have to take things into your own hands and yeah. i think so the Desaad's books are dreadfully horrific but they also have messages that are very important and if you can read them reading them can help expand your mind and also give you a bit of a dose on how creepy you can get if you're not <laughs> if you're told if you've never if you're never told no as a child it's <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> it's really valuable to look yeah. at other people's lives and work and media and every like the world as something to be curious about and something to really investigate and reflect upon because you can get so much out of it um even if it's yeah. you know it could be the market side it could be like you know any it could <laughs> be anything give me the market side it could be someone <laughs> it could be not, you know not totally insane yeah. it could be not him yeah out of all the books you could read but um you know, for, for me, I'll just say all I meant was I don't think that the the text is particularly um I thought I don't know. The writing style is not for me. How's that? Like the content was like, okay, fine, you know, this is this is an interesting piece of the it's history. Very but it was it's like I was like, this person is not the kind of writer that I would like, you know, support on Patreon today. Not because of the content, but just because of the the like the style of writing. I was just kind of like, This is this is real boring. Like, where's you know, anyway. Oh, um, it would be a fun book club discussion though. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagining everyone sitting there like, so. Uh, I I don't know. I really enjoy hearing other people's perspectives on text and media, and you know, to some oh, degree, that's what I why I do what I do is because it's really just interesting to get to know people. And I I actively collect controversial literature because I have a fear that one day they're not going to be available. Um, so I have Mein Kampf, for example. Mm -hmm. Again, boring as hell. It is. Just, it is really. It is really boring. It's just, it's just a guy complaining about uh -huh. um, how it's it's no different to a political manifesto that you would see from like a presidential candidate. In fact, it's very similar to. <laughs> yeah. Um, we won't get into that. We'll get into that on the sci-fi hour, though. So yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh no, we did. This is accidentally a, a duo that you must listen to both, but that's that's okay. No, oh. um, but the, there is something to be said that these, and this does link into mental health because mm -hmm. the Marquis de Sade, if you read his history, when I say he was never told no as a child. He never was told no as a child. Mm -hmm. He tortured servants. He did a lot of weird stuff. And that led to who he became. Yeah. And so that is important. That trauma, but also that trauma can go in different directions. Oh, yes. It can be trauma that hurts you and trauma where you hurt others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something I think that, and this will help with your SEO, um, Jeffrey Dahmer mm -hmm. is now in the is now being examined under a microscope because Netflix made a very weird 
I have heard. <laughs> I have not watched it, and I do not intend to. But I, I, I I've read I some very upset people about it. Yes, I've I haven't watched it, but I've, I've I watched the um, review of it from Dr. Elliot Carthy, who's mm-hmm. a uh, forensic psychiatrist in the UK who does a wonderful job on YouTube, and he um, he was he was talking more about he he cut because. For some of us, we want to see the violence. Some of us, we just want to know why. Why Why do some people just suddenly... And there's a very important scene where he's been arrested and his dad and lawyer in, are, in, are in the room with him and they're going, we need you to plead in, in Senate. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but I'm not insane. Mm-hmm. And then they go, well, at the time of the murder. I, I wasn't insane at the time of the murder either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you could you couldn't remember parts of it, Jeffrey. You were, you know, doing all this weird shit. And he goes, "That's because I was blackout drunk." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's this thing where you suddenly realize the reason we need to believe that these serial killers are mentally ill is because that they're, they're just people. Yeah. And that's scary to a lot of people is the mm-hmm. fact that you they're not schizophrenics or DID or they don't have DID those people are more likely to hurt themselves than anyone else. These are real people that just happen to be serial killers. Yeah. Happen to have a line of thinking that goes, mm-hmm. yeah. what if I did this? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I'm going to wrap this up because, uh, yeah, just because, structure. because we have to structure. So. Otherwise it'll be two um, hour long. And it'll I, be, you uh, know what? Frankly, one day, maybe that we should do that. But yeah. um but for today, um, before we kind of pop off, I'm just going to say that everyone should check out Jermaine's podcast. I'm going to put a, a link in the show notes. Um, so you should go check that out. Do you have any kind of last words or anything you'd like folks to know about anything you've been through really before we pop off for today? There is always going to be light at the end of the tunnel. There is never a moment in my past that I regret more so than the ones that I where I lost my vision for the future if you continue to look forward to things you will continue to be able to move forward never forget the past but never and always remember where you are but always look forward because otherwise the past will consume you thanks very much Jermaine Thank you so much for joining me today on the Neurodiverging Podcast. I hope you found this episode as interesting and as enlightening as I did, and I hope it gives you some information to chew on. I would love to know your thoughts. Please feel free to go to neurodiverging.com and look at the transcript page and leave me a comment or email me at neurodiverging.podcast at gmail.com. I really appreciate your insight and your feedback. I also just want to little heads up that if you go to neurodiverging.com slash upcoming events, all one word, um, we have monthly webinars, upcoming coaching programs, upcoming classes, all listed there for the first quarter of the year at least. And so I hope you'll join me for some of those. Thanks so much for being here with me today. And please remember, we are all in this together.